Thanksgiving break always sort of feels like the seventh inning stretch. Take a quick little breather, you come on back, and then it's a few weeks pushing through to the finish. It's been fun the last little while as a community in a time of Thanksgiving celebrating what it is that we've been given to do something we've never done before, to rally together as a community, pick a project we're going to give towards, and then be able to celebrate as we mark milestones moving towards that goal. But before we get there, I have to be perfectly honest as well and say that there's been some cheating within our community. A few people have jumped the gun here. And yet, because imitation is the highest form of flattery, some of us have chose to follow in their footsteps. <laughs> Look how fine-looking those three men are with bald heads. You know like when an, when an artist draws a sketch of a new building, right, and, and, you, and it, looks, it looks incredibly beautiful, and you just know that when it comes to pass, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And you can see that... Dr. Cosgrove, absolutely handsome. Rockland, look at that smile. We could be painting his hair pink and he will still be good looking. Dr. DeRue, I think honestly, is in this just to save time getting ready in the morning. And if you can actually go to the next one. See, that's not even fair. These other guys actually look handsome with bald heads. Um, I've become even more undignified than this. <laughs> but in all seriousness, guys, this is absolutely a ton of fun watching our community go around these things, move towards a goal. And um, I thought about this this morning, actually. I looked back at a calendar that was made up earlier in the year. In May, we had actually planned a trip to be in Liberia at this time. And in fact, today I was supposed to be visiting the community for the first time where church is that has taken in these 18 orphans and going to build an orphanage. And so it was kind of sad to not be there. However, that family of churches gathered, and yesterday they put on Facebook all sorts of pictures of their worship as they gather. And in the middle of an Ebola outbreak, um, the people who are receiving our gifts and our worship, you can go to the picture. This was a picture of their worship yesterday. Just beautiful. All out, break out, fall down from the face of the Lord. Adoration in worship. You think our guys did a little loud this morning? ear-piercing, absolutely thrilled, stoked to be worshiping God regardless of the circumstances there. And if you go to the next one, this gentleman on the right is Pastor Abraham Howard. He's the one who's felt convicted to lead this mission, invite all 18 children actually into his home. Him and his wife are going to go through the training, and they're going to be the ones who's going to house um, this orphanage inside their own home, living with these kids and parenting them and not just being an orphanage director. So this is the, this is the project that you guys are sharing in, and... Um, at the end of this week, of course, is the close. So I've decided that actually our goal, after looking at that picture, our new goal for this project is $14,900. Because then we'll actually have enough money to build the orphanage and I will not have to shave my head. So that's the new goal. And as of this morning, give me a little drum roll on the back of the, on the, back of the pews. Our total as of right now is, if you can put the next one up for us, there you go, guys. We're getting close. So in the couple days, we've got, in the three days we've got left, let's push this thing over the edge and be able together to contribute something 
do something during this season for um, a lot of people who are struggling, um, having lost parents and face that reality the rest of their lives. So thank you for joining in this project. Let's see what we can do together as a campus, Dort College. Join me in prayer. Father, we ask that you would receive all of our gifts for your glory, our singing and worship, our study, our reflection and meditation and thoughts of you, our financial gifts. Father, we pray that in every one of these circumstances that your name would be elevated and it would be high, that we would find our place, find our excitement, find our identity. And having you lifted up in all it is that we say and do and think and are. Father, find glory in this place. Find glory in our lives. Find glory that your name would be lifted up. Teach us to find our place in the shadow of your throne. And our freedom there. In Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine for a minute that the year is 2024, or 10 years into the future, and this buildup that goes of this spending spree towards Christmas has sort of gone even a little further out of hand. It's right after Thanksgiving, and alarms are getting set earlier and earlier. Planning is taking place months and months before, and the dates of preparation seem to be moving more and more back further into summer and into the calendar. Excitement builds as that day the alarms get set earlier and earlier and there's an anxious, nervous energy as everybody's ready to line up. It's Giving Tuesday. And there's been a shift, some sort of switch that has taken place within us and Black Friday becomes more of a history lesson and somehow as a people we've embraced this idea of lining up in an excitement greater than purchasing, greater than consuming, that is transferred into our hearts of giving. You see, most of us understand the teaching of Jesus to explain that the great paradox within the kingdom of God is that it is now and it is not yet, but there is a second great paradox in the kingdom of God. That the more of it you give away, the more of it you have. Now, rewind the clock. We'll go all the way back. 500 years before the coming of Christ. There is a switch that the prophets have been asking people to make inside of themselves. Stop looking out at everybody else. Stop pointing the finger at the other nations and what they've done wrong. Start holding up a mirror in front of yourselves, the prophets say. Return to God and he will return to you. Be faithful in all the ways that he has asked of you. And your lives will look different and you will be the light that I have called you to be. If we could find that switch inside where there's just this shift that takes place. Where our goals and ambitions become a little bit more about the kingdom of heaven and receiving it. And creating our own kingdoms. Here's an example of one story of what that would look like. 
People ask me all the time, Michael, what was your big break? Our next guest has performed on Comedy Central's Premium Blend. He made his first appearance on The Tonight Show for the Montreal Comedy Festival. You've seen him on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. That wasn't a big break. The big break was at a club. And right before I got on stage, I had a change in mindset about comedy. Normally when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. And I felt a little shift take place where I felt like I was to go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. Now I'm not looking to take. I'm looking for an opportunity to give. This changed everything. My name is Michael Jr. I'm gonna do some jokes. And ultrasounds come in color now, which is ridiculous. I know it's a black baby. It better be a black baby. I leave the club that night, and there's all these people giving me hugs and high fives, telling me their favorite jokes. Then I look across the street, and I saw a homeless guy. And I thought to myself, what about him? Most comedy, most jokes are set up. My son, four years old, looks at me out of nowhere. And he says, Dad, I want to be a doctor. I was like, yes, yes. And then a punchline. Then he said, or a dinosaur. I understand that me doing comedy and doing all of these TV shows and making all these people laugh is really just a setup. My punchline is to make laughter commonplace in uncommon places. We go to Montrose, Colorado, a place called the Dolphin House. They take care of children who have been abused by their parents. And this grandmother explains to me that her um, grandson is being abused by his mom. He's so afraid of his mom that everywhere he goes, he wears a Spider-Man costume. So I get on stage, sitting right up front, Spider-Man. I start doing comedy. People start laughing, slowly but surely. Probably about 25 minutes into it, I hear a voice. And the voice says, my name is Ronan. And this little boy pulls off his mask. And it was one of the most powerful moments in my entire comedy career. Here's the deal. If we could just stop asking the question, what could I get for myself? and start asking the question, what can I give from myself? I think people would learn that you don't have to be a comedian to deliver a punchline. It's really what I want to get across to people. And I think I just did. I looked at the camera again. I don't know if I was supposed to do that. Emphasis. <laughs> Anything else you can think of? Yeah, I'm going to say it right now. You've been set up. you in the setup. Be the punchline. Okay, I'm going to walk off dramatically. <laughs> the prophets come speaking back to Israel again and again. You are the setup for the rest of the world, right? You understand that you are designed to be a light, and if you will follow all the things that I have put in place for you, you will be the light to the nations, and I will be that light through you if you will but return to me. And that's the chorus that runs all the way through the prophets. Return to me, and I'll return to you. All these things that you're looking for, you keep pointing to everybody else, and you want everything outside of you to change, but you don't understand that what I need from you is change within you. 
I get a little bit discouraged every time, this time of year again. We sit in our churches and we start introducing this word hope back in the vocabulary in, in greater frequency. It's one of the great Advent themes, hope, hope, hope. And every time I hear the word hope, we keep talking about what we hope God is going to do in the world outside of us. John the Baptist, if nothing else, reminded us in his message and in his life as being the personification of Advent that to get ready for a full acceptance of the coming of the Messiah wasn't about pointing your finger at everything else that's broken in the world, but about a path of repentance and receiving what it is that they needed to change inside of themselves. And so he comes preaching a baptism of repentance and transformation. Everybody wanted the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord to be a setting of the table for the feast for Israel. John the Baptist comes to tell everybody, I didn't come to set a feast, I came to clean some house, because that's what it's going to take to get ready. We need to orient our hearts a little further towards the kingdom. We need to do things more drastic, and it's hard for us in this time to find things that cut through all the noise, that become a little more significant in terms of what it is that we do, that we change, that we give that we alter to let the voice of Christ still come through, the voice of Advent, of hope. You see, hope at the end of the day isn't this unwavering, unflinching acknowledgement within us that God is going to change everything else out there. The hope for the transformation of the world is an unflinching, unrelenting desire that God would change what is wrong inside of me. And God has given us the ability in this process of sanctification to move more fully in. And each year as you grow up as a believer, we enter into this Advent season. I think that this is what it's about again. God, how much further can your kingdom move in? How much more obedient can I become? How much more fully can you convict me and change me? Do I understand that this life that I've been given, these career aspirations that I have, these things that I want to accumulate and have in my life, that that's not what this is a setup for. You are the setup for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. You are the setup for the exaltation of Christ. And that hope for the transformation of the world changes when we begin to realize that that hope has to take place within us. And it's what the prophets keep doing with everyone, right? Putting up the mirror. Stop looking at everybody else, you guys. Stop looking at everybody else. What about you? What about you? And Malachi, the last of the 12 minor prophets we've been looking at all semester, comes onto this scene. It's about 470 years, probably some odd before the coming of Christ. The Persians are in charge of everything, and Israel still pointing the finger, God, change everybody else so the great and terrible day of the Lord can come. Four oracles find their way coming out in this passage. God says to the Israelites, stop bringing your crap before me and calling it worship. Stop breaking covenant with me by falling in love with other things. I outlined for you at the very beginning a path that would lead to life and abundance and one that would lead to curse. This is what happens. I gathered you as a people at the foot of Mount Sinai. I called you by my name. I redefined who you are. I gave you rules and laws, not because I imposed restrictions upon you, but because I want to create the platform and the path of righteousness for you in your life. Walk along it and you will experience abundance and I will bring my kingdom into the world and you will be a light to the nations. Step outside of it and I will not drop curse upon you, but you will place yourself in a path of death and destruction. So these are the choices that I put before you today, God keeps saying to us again and again, and the prophets remind us again and again. And now we get to the fourth oracle in the book of Malachi in the closing two chapters of the Old Testament. 
I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. The chorus of the prophets, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you, comes the chorus of the prophets. And the people, of course, ask how, like many of us would want to ask. You and I have before have had times in life where you feel distance between you and the Lord. You want to know what it's going to be like to reawaken your devotional life, your intimacy time with God and what that really looks like. And we've all asked this question. How do we return to you, God? How do we make you feel close again? How do I return to that place? And one would expect a deeply spiritual answer coming back in answer to this question. And God seems to lean in and instead answers and says, stop taking my stuff. Stop robbing me. Stop taking what is mine. I would have expected a little bit of a deeper, more profound answer in terms of all of this. Something much more spiritual than stop taking my stuff. In fact, as you're doing this, God says to us, as these things happen to the Israelites and as they happen to us, it's, it's us removing ourselves from the path of obedience and the place that God has invited us to tread and instead put us on a path put us in a place that he actually refers to as a, as a curse. Right? Those last several books of the Pentateuch, this unfolding of the blessings and curses, blessings and curses, if you do this, then it'll go this way. If you do this, then it's going to go like this for you. It's not a matter of God sitting holding back, and when we make choices, he either drops a punishment on us or drops something nice. It's not that sort of arm wrestling with God. It's God saying, here is the path. Walk in it or choose not to. God doesn't drop curses on us. We place ourselves in the place of curse on a path of death when we choose not to follow what he wants. And when God's people are not contributing in person, in time, in emotional energy because our lives are so full of the things about us, and we fail to receive and to see the blessings that we want so badly to experience, could it really be that Malachi is saying in this passage that if you want to find a deeper intimacy with God, one of the ways to achieve this is actually to give a little more of yourself? To give a little more of your finances? To reorient that part of your life and that part of your heart? And so the invitation comes. He spells it out for him. It's in tithes and offerings that you're doing this. You're under a curse, your whole nation. Bring the whole tithe, he says, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God is an economic genius. Did you know that? 
Sometimes I think we talk about these lessons in the way that God wants us to treat our neighbor or turning the other cheek, and we talk about all these pieces in Scripture like they're great, pious, idealistic conversations. But what if God is the great strategist? What if when he spells out that self-denying, sacrificial love actually isn't just something that good people do, but what if it's actually the secret to the world's greatest marriages? What if the fruit of the Spirit actually plays nine to five in the workplace? What if it isn't just what good people do who finish last, but what if it's actually the strategy embedded in the hearts of all mankind to change and transform the world because when God gives us a commandment in Scripture, it is the pathway of life and not of death? What if God has given us all the keys for the reconciliation of the nations and yet all the while we keep leaving them locked up? You guys, we need Christians at the forefront of all of these conversations. Our God is not a simpleton. He's not an over-idealistic person. He has the strategy of all the hearts of mankind because he created them and put them together. And he will heal the nations. He will do this. This is the hope. But the hope starts when we start to internalize these things. When we take it all and bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. We stand as the richest people in history. Churches in North America calculate their budgets on the assumption that their members will give 3%. In a survey done in Christianity Today last year, the Christian Reformed Church of all denominations actually came in as the highest giving denomination at 6%. But some argue that's only because some of the churches swallowed their Christian education funds inside of their budget, so they're actually actually getting their Christian education within part of that. That's so the critique goes. All the while... God would not command us something if it didn't have the ability to deliver. He wouldn't. Did you know that if Americans alone cut our alcohol consumption in half, it would create enough revenue to feed every starving person in the world? Transforming the world isn't pie-in-the-sky ideas. It just takes a little faith. That God meant what he said. And his promises still stand. Here's another one for you. If the global community could cut its pornography consumption in half, no longer would there be these statistics of once every eight seconds some child in the world dies of a waterborne illness because we could cure all the water issues of the world with half of our annual pornography revenue. These aren't pie in the sky. Do you see what I'm saying? These aren't pie in the sky ideas. How are we going to feed 9 billion people as the world continues to grow? Well, we're going to take a bunch of graduates from places like Dort College who have a vision of environmental stewardship and agricultural responsibility, put these things together and imagine a world that actually cares about one another and we do what God told us from the very beginning we would do if we would just give and if we would just reign in our own desires and actually get excited about giving to other people and God says, I will actually follow through on my promises. They actually work. They're not just idealistic ideas to stay inside of here for the one hour a week when you worship together. They will play. They will work. They will change the world. I am still the smartest mind that ever lived. I created you and I love you and I want this to come in the world. And yet it's almost like God knows we're going to struggle with this one, isn't it? Because he gives us this invitation afterwards. Test me in this. 
Jesus, even in the temptation in the wilderness, right, quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God, right? You cannot test God. But in this one exception, because God kind of knows that money and, 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 and anxiety and worry about finances is the thing that gets us. It's why Jesus talks about money in one out of every six verses in the Synoptic Gospels of 16 out of the 34 parables that he lists off are all about money and its stewardship. He knows what gets us. He knows where our deepest weaknesses are. So God actually says, try me on for size. Test me in this one. Try it. And see if I can't do more with 90 than you can do with 100. See, at the end of the day, this isn't actually about money. This is about faith. It's been said before that the greatest beneficiary of any gift is actually the giver. And I think it's absolutely true. On the flip side of that, it was Edmund Burke who also said, bad things happen when good people in the world do nothing. And so often I think it's what we've seen. So God's invitation, I think, still stands for us. Test me in this. Try me on for size and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. You see, people talk all these times about Murphy's Law and we think bad things happen to us and sometimes things like that unfold. Well, guess what? God's got a plan to Murphy-proof your financial situation. Test me in this. God says, try me on for size. And guess what I can do? I can prevent pests from devouring your crops. I can prevent things from your, your vines from not dropping their fruit before they're ripe. I can prevent things that happen because I am still in charge of all things. And I hold it all in my hand. And I want you, my people, to be excited about this. So God paints this vision and this picture, and this invitation. Try me on for size. Test me in this and see if I'm not meaning everything that I'm telling you. And then not only that, only in God's wisdom could we just simply follow a path of obedience and then he takes that and makes it the light of the world. Then... Verse 12 in the passage, right? Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. This is what he wanted from Israel in the very beginning, right? I'll give you an economic system of debt forgiveness, uh, of caring for the poor, of, of taking care of others. I'm going to give you this whole system, and if you do this, your light will shine in the darkness. It will bless you, and it will bless the nations, and God's invitation still stands to his people. When we are obedient when we follow the commands of God, when we just simply become more excited in life about giving than getting, God takes that, causes our influence to rise, causes people to ask questions, causes our stories to be the ones that are most significant and that people long to hear. And hope starts getting infused in other places even beyond our own hearts. As you look ahead the rest of your life and your career and your ambitions and your dreams, is it really true that you and I still see ourselves as the setup and Christ as the punchline? Does he have that place? Have we given it to him? Or do we need to give it back? Return to me, says God, and I will return to you. And just like that, back on the path of blessing. With a well of forgiveness that never ends, a kingdom that cannot be exhausted, a God who will not fail, and a light that will never stop shining in the darkness till every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Will you pray with me?
Father, your promises are sure. And we pray that this time of Advent for each one of us too would also be a time of repentance. You've called us to make straight paths. There are many dry and barren places in this world, Lord. Many places starved for your gospel. But they start with our hearts. Father, teach us in small ways to be about what you are about. Teach us to be more excited about the giving of our lives than how we can lead them for ourselves. Father, in that space of trust that doesn't yet quite exist within us, birth your son again. Make us new. We welcome him. We need him. In his name, amen. Will you rise and receive a blessing in the rest of your day? Community of Dort College, you have been blessed to be a blessing. You have been called to be the setup and the punchline is Christ. May your stories be told loud. May they be lived beautifully. May Christ reign over every part of who you are. May the world see it and be changed by it. Amen.